super good morning. <laughs> um, we are glad you're here this morning and uh, thankful to see all you. Um, always love going on vacation, but always miss being here on Sunday, so it's, uh, it's good to be back. And um, we have a few announcements before we get started. One is that we're continuing to look for uh, Sunday school nursery volunteers. We're going to try to get a rotation of people uh, to, to, to do Sunday school nursery. So while people and parents and everything go to, to Sunday school, we have a place for their, their little ones to be. And so if you're interested in, in being on a rotation for that, you can see Gina Kingston. Um, she will create that rotation and uh, get you plugged in uh, somewhere on that. So if you have any interest in that, please see her. Also, um, there is a wedding shower for Hannah Bledsoe today. Um, it's a drop-in, I believe, from 2 to 4. And so uh, if you'd like to come and shower her with gifts and, and, or money, or I'm sure she'll accept anything, um, they, they're all, we, we always need something when we're heading into a new aspect of life. And so if you want to come shower her, um, that's from 2 to 4 today. Um, so, so stop by for that. Uh, also tonight is a deacons meeting at 5 and then conference at 6. So each of those will take place in the fellowship hall. Um, those will be at 5 and 6. And then our students are having an outdoor day. Um, we're going to be fishing, playing games, and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be, I think the thing says 5.30, but that's actually going to be at 6. So if you, if you have a student who wants to go who needs a ride, um, they can meet us here at the church outside the youth building at about 5.45. Um, but if you want to, if your student wants to meet us there, um, you can just come see me. I can give you the address of where it's going to be, um, and uh, we're going to have a, a good time together in fellowship tonight. There'll be um, food as food as well, and a, a student-led devotion. So we're looking forward to that time together with our student ministry. And also, speaking of student ministry, student summer camp is coming up quickly. It's uh, July 19th through the 23rd. Um, it's not too late to sign somebody up. So if you know of somebody, 6th through 12th grade, who, who's looking to go on a week-long um, trip to the beach and, and, and to have a, a fun time with fellow believers and to learn more about Christ and their relationship with Him, uh, we really encourage you to sign them up. It's going to be a great week. We have several other churches in the area that are going with us. And it's always an exciting time for our students. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. So um, if you have any interest in that, please see me. I can get you... Um, the information that I have available for that as well. So uh, before we before we get started with worship this morning, there is a, a an organization called the Seed Company, but it's also it also goes by Illuminations. They're kind of in a transition period right now. But what they do is they translate the Bible for for languages that do not have a, a translation of the Bible in the world. There are over a hundred languages in the world that don't have a translation of the Bible. And so their mission is to do that. And so we're going to watch a video um, about that company and just what they do. And then for the next two weeks, we're going to take up a special offering at the end so that you can give towards their mission. It's called a 12-verse challenge. Um, there's a certain amount of money, and if, you, if we donate that as a church, we can translate 12 verses into a language that doesn't have the Bible. And uh, we want as many people in the world to know about the gospel as possible. That's our mission is for people to know Jesus Christ and to, and to have access to his word. And so that's going to be a video that we're going to show right now. So um, if you'll tune into that, and then we'll take up the offering at the end. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that the only vision that I really have, which I think is the ultimate vision, is the vision that is given to us in the book of Revelation. 
where John has an opportunity to catch a glimpse of a finished product and describes this phenomenal painting, if you like, this panoramic view of a company that nobody can count that comprises people from every nation and tribe and language and tongue and so on. It's a very comprehensive picture. Uh, the, the, the mandate that has been given to us is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Where is the gospel? Well, the gospel was given to us, if you like, the apostles uh, reflecting on the events of the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Then they write them down so that we might have them and so that we might then in turn take them and communicate them in every generation, in every place in the world. And so when we think about the unreached people groups of the world who are out there without that, uh, then you realize, one, how important it is, and two, what a vital thing it is to enable people to be able to do the work that will end in the uh, production of scripture in the heart language of the individuals to whom we go. The seed company is very understandable. What we're trying to do is ensure that the people of the world have access to the Word of God in their own heart language. Did you know that there are almost 7,000 languages in the world? And less than 500 have a complete Bible. Visit theseedcompany.org and decide today to get involved. Oh, 
day and thank you for your kindness and compassion and your love for us. God, I, I thank you most, God, for that you went to the cross for us and that you died and paid the full penalty for our sins. God, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I, I'm so grateful to come and worship you this morning. I'm grateful to sing songs to you. God, and um, I look forward to to one day to, to see up in heaven one day, to see you with my own eyes. And I just pray that um, we'd worship you in truth this morning, in spirit. These things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. explains the the tent back here uh, relating to their theme and they're going to continue on Sunday evening to the 6th through the summer uh, to extend that BBS so uh, your children grandchildren we'd love to see them involved on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock so oh the other thing is this morning we are taking communion so we will remember the Lord's Supper I give you permission at any point to get up and go get a cup uh, Jeff Rude placed them out there in the welcome area. If you did not see that or were not aware of that as you came in um, following the message, it will culminate in us sharing uh, the Lord's Supper together as Christ commanded us to. So um, those are three things I wanted to mention before we read our text. So Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 40. I think the two miracles that we see in this particular passage to me they demonstrate the two courses that we just sang if we seek him first if we long for him and pant for him there are two people here who have great needs and they recognize that and they go to Christ with that kind of heart they go to Christ with that kind of brokenness so look at verse 40, and, and last Sunday we saw how Christ had power over 
the kingdom of darkness. He dealt with a demon-possessed man. The previous week, we saw how he has power over the natural elements, the, the wind and the waves and the sea. So we see that Christ has authority over everything. The world, the devil, and this week, the flesh, the fallenness of the human body and all that entails. I keep reminding us, there's opposition to God, to discipleship, to loving Christ from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus is Lord over all. So this particular week, we see the frailty of the human body and disease and death and how Christ is over that. So verse 40, now he's finally getting to the text. As Jesus returned from what he was doing last Sunday or previously in the text, the multitude welcomed him. They had all been waiting for him. That's very different from... The town where the, the demon-possessed man was healed, they, they said, Jesus, go away. And when he goes away, here's another group of people that they are saying, Jesus, come, we welcome you. So notice the contrast there between the, the two types of, of groups. So verse 41, Behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet, and he began to entreat him to come to his house. Well, what's the emergency? Here it is. He had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. So Jesus is in this crowd of people... And the multitudes are just pressing against Christ. And while this is happening, there's another interruption. There's another emergency. Verse 43, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She could not be healed by anyone. Now I find it interesting that, and some of your versions say here, that she had gone to physicians and spent everything that she had and the physicians were not able to cure her. In the most reliable manuscripts, Luke's gospel omits that and I think that's ironic and interesting because Luke was a physician. <laughs> Don't go talking bad about my profession. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's true. She is at the end of all her resources. There's nothing that anyone can do to heal her. So she came up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his cloak, his garment, and immediately, immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. So Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Peter says, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now what's interesting is that she would have been reckoned and considered unclean. She touches Jesus, and rather than him become unclean, 
she becomes healed and purified. So he doesn't become unclean, he actually cleanses. The same thing is going to happen with the issue of death just a few verses later. So when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and she fell down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official. (laughs) Don't forget about the first emergency. And they said, Your daughter has died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's over. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, and this is what he said, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. She will be made well. That's the same phrase that we saw in verse 48. So when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. So we've gone from the multitudes to just close friends and family. And you've been in situations in funeral homes where the multitudes have to leave and it's just what? Just the closest friends and family. All those who may be there for curiosity, out. This is just the closest of friends and family. Look at verse 52. So they were all weeping and lamenting her for her. But Jesus said, stop weeping. She has not died, but she is asleep. Well, how can he speak of death? She really was dead. How can he speak of death in those kind of terms? Well, we're about to find out. So they began laughing at him. Now notice they've gone from weeping to laughing. They don't believe it. They think he's being absolutely ridiculous. Knowing that she had died. He, however, look at this, y'all. If I can say y'all, folks. (laughs) In the South, y'all is is the plural of you all. (laughs) No, I think it it goes like this. You know what the plural of y'all is? All (laughs) y'all. That's what it is. Y'all forgive me. i got to bring my mind back under control here. He took her by the hand. He called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She rose immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Father, thank you for our reading and for the passage. What, a, what an amazing passage this is, reminding us again of who Christ is and what he's done. We too need saving faith. And I pray today that through this passage we would see what that involves, and what the essential elements are, so that we too might, might be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Okay, what are the essential elements of saving faith? What is saving faith? What makes, what makes up saving faith? After all, uh, there is opposition and resistance along the way to us hearing and believing and accepting and embracing the good news of Jesus. Because of our love for the Appalachian Trail as a church, because of the ministry we've done there, and because I've come to love it as an individual, I follow some accounts on social media that speak of the trail. And I noticed this past week, a young woman was hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and she came to a portion of the trail in Maine that is called the 100-Mile Wilderness. And she posted a picture of the warning, the caution sign, to everyone who's about to enter that 100-mile wilderness. A hundred miles. And this is what the sign says. Caution. There are no places to obtain supplies or get help until Abel Bridge, a hundred miles north. Do not attempt this section unless you have a minimum of 10 days supplies and are fully equipped. This is the longest wilderness section of the entire Appalachian Trail. And its difficulty should not be underestimated. (laughs) Then it says good hiking. (laughs) And I noticed that underneath the sign was a box that says hikers please register. Why do you think that is? Exactly. So that they know who's on the trail and how to, how to find them. As I read about that and as I noticed that, I thought about where we've been in Luke's gospel. I mean, we've dealt with storms. We've dealt with demon possession. And now we're dealing with death and disease. It's a dangerous world out there, people. I mean, spiritually and physically and emotionally and financially, we are daily walking through the hundred-mile wilderness as human beings following Christ. And we need not and better not enter into that kind of territory where, to borrow from Dorothy, a Wizard of Oz, there's lions and tigers and bears, oh my! Because, Toto, I don't think we're in Eden anymore. Right? We're sinners living in a fallen, sinful world. This is not Eden. And we are battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and if we enter in without the required supplies and resources, well, Jesus says later in Luke, unless you repent, you will die in your sins. So what we have today is saving faith. Your faith has made you well. Now in Luke's gospel and in the New Testament, that word well is a Greek word sozo that that actually means a whole lot more than physical wellness. It involves total and complete. The total package of salvation is, is complete wellness. And I mean spiritual wellness, physical wellness, emotional wellness, The point of the Bible is that you and I are not well. That we are fallen sinners desperately in need of salvation. How can we become well? By grace 
through faith. So in this particular sermon, we have two individuals that Jesus speaks the good news to. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. That begs the question, what is saving faith? How do I know that I have it? What are the parts of it? This is not busy work. This is your life. Well, there are four that I recognize I want to point to before we take communion. The four aspects of saving faith according to this part of the Bible. Now, this isn't all that saving faith is, but it will have these four elements. Number one is brokenness. Brokenness. Number two is dependency. Dependency. Number three is expectancy. And number four is ministry. Now notice that brokenness is a part of the equation in Luke chapter 8. This is a posture of humility before Christ. In fact, their awareness of their brokenness is what drives them to Jesus. Their awareness of their brokenness sends them to Christ. They are broken and they know it. They have fallen and they cannot get up. There is this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that they are aware of because of the physical dimensions. This man who is a leader in the synagogue comes to Jesus broken. It says that he falls down at Jesus' feet. This woman who makes her way through the crowd, when, 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 when finally she's caught, what does she do? She falls down trembling at Jesus' feet. This is how they outwardly express what they felt inwardly, this complete and utter desperation because their situation had gotten so dire. A man's 12-year-old daughter was dying. A woman for 12 years had exhausted all of her resources and she wasn't getting better, she was getting worse. Those two individuals demonstrate physically what our true condition is spiritually. In fact, we might stop and ask, well, why in the world do people get diseases and why do we die? We haven't solved those two things yet. We spent all of 2020 wrestling with yet another disease. What's wrong with us? Why is there death and disease? Biblically speaking, why is there death and disease? Because man has sinned against God. We are not well because we have rebelled against God, we are alienated from God, and outwardly we waste away because that is a sign and a mark that we have failed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are sinners and that's why the human condition physically has so much disease and the constant uh, enemy is persistent in all of our lives called death. Why are they broken? They're broken because of death and disease. Why does death and disease exist? Because we're broken. And all of us enter into this world like some of the packages enter on the, my front porch step. 
broken in shipping and handling. (laughs) So we make a real big deal, for example, about people like Phil Mickelson a few weeks ago. At 50 years old, at 50 years old, he wins a major golf tournament. And I'll be honest, I was pulling really hard for Phil. He is a 50-year-old left-handed golfer, and so am I. Well, the people who play golf with me say, well, you're 50 and you play, but I don't know if I'd call you a golfer. (laughs) And what were the headlines? Phil Mickelson defeats Father Time. Nah. Phil Mickelson did did not defeat Father Time. He he held it back a little bit. But Father Time is undefeated. I got to move on. But here's my point. The brokenness that they're finally confronted with and aware of sends them to Christ. And their brokenness is not just a physical brokenness. It is a spiritual brokenness at heart which is why the physical brokenness exists in the first place. And and, and salvation, which, of course, there are three parts. There's justification, and then there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. One day, we will be absolutely physically glorified and healed. Our bodies will be like Jesus, (coughs) and the song Mr. Miller used to love so much, we'll live in a land where we'll never grow old. Never grow old. That's coming. But before any of that can come, you and I have to be broken in humility before Christ, totally renouncing our self and our self-righteousness and our ability to save save ourselves. The second point I want to... Mention is dependency. And this sounds a lot like brokenness, and I'll be honest with you, I struggled with the difference in brokenness and dependency. But if, but if brokenness shows me how I need to come, dependency tells me how I need to stay. You know, if, if you're telling me, okay, just show up, once you show up, then what do I do? Well, you, you, you enter on your knees in humility, and then you stay low, you stay dependent. So the second element of their faith, which is saving faith, is this passionate hunger for Christ. Continual dependency. It's not just I'll show up in brokenness, you'll get me better, and then I'm leaving the hospital and I'm back on my own again. No. Salvation is I come in humility and brokenness and then I stay dependent on Christ Throughout the whole hundred mile wilderness of life. Does that, does that make any sense? Uh, our theme in Bible school is that you will search for Him and you'll seek Him. And you'll find Him when you search for Him with all your heart. But the Bible says that's not only how we come to Christ, but that's how we stay with Christ. So it says things like this. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Keep trusting, keep relying. You see, there's a couple of interruptions in this text. But I noticed that both parties who have saving faith, they don't just come to Jesus, they keep coming to Jesus. And they don't just come to Jesus, but if you know that Jairus, he keeps going with Jesus. (laughs) 
Even after they say, don't bother him anymore. She's dead. It's over. It's hopeless. What does he do? We don't know how much faith he had, but we know the object of his faith, and that's, that's what makes a difference. It's not the amount. It's the object of your faith that makes a difference. So he goes to his house. She's already been pronounced dead, but, but what does he do? He's, he's going with Jesus. <laughs> There's no one else to go to. There's no one else to cling to. When it describes how this woman moved through the crowd and held on to Jesus, it, it uses the phrase, she held on for dear life. It's kind of Neil, the NIV, the Neil International Version. She held on for dear life. To me, that's saving faith. Faith is the hand that takes hold of the Savior and holds on for dear life. That's what saving faith is. It is a continual dependency as you trust not in yourself but in Jesus. Not just for salvation but for sanctification. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Right? And it's grace that has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. It's a continual reliance on His grace. That's why my grandfather had a sister named Mary Will Avery. And when I was called into ministry, she gave me some great advice. She said, Neil, tell you what to do. I said, okay, May Will. She said, read your Bible and pray, pray, pray. I can't put it any clearer than that. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians says that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might and put on the whole armor of God, girding our loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, taking up the shield of faith, taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and praying at all times. That is continual reliance on His strength, not my own. That is knowing that, yeah, there are lions and tigers and bears in this hundred-mile wilderness of life, but I'm going to daily take off my self-reliance and I'm going to put on the armor that God provides. Nobody can do this for you. You must do it yourself. So Bennett's been playing 9- and 10-year-old baseball, and we just got done yesterday with the state tournament, and we got completely demolished. (laughs) You talk about brokenness. We were broken, man. And those boys worked really hard. Man, they practiced so hard for the last month. And one of the things we did with them is we got them in these batting cages down at the high school and got at real point-blank range. And I was the BP thrower in this particular station. And you're talking 9- and 10-year-old kids. And some of these kids are like, I felt like I was in a cage with a rattlesnake. Man, the adrenaline would start flowing because these kids are hitting balls and I'm right there. But, I, but fortunately, I've got something between me and the batter and it's a safety net. And that safety net was reliable and it was strong. But I'll be honest with you, my reactions initially, when I'm pitching and I'm standing right behind the net and it's boom, coming right back at you, your initial reaction is physically not to trust the net, but to do what? To, to trust my... To trust my instincts. 
But one thing I did learn to do is stay behind the net. Because on a couple of particular occasions, I got a little off to the side. And my elbow paid the price. What does it mean to be continually relying on someone or something? It means to continually stay behind it. It means to continually know that yes, there's danger and there's difficulty, but I'm going to be in Christ. I'm going to rely on Christ. I'm going to trust in Christ. And when I get outside of Christ and get on my own, I'm getting off the trail, all right, without any spiritual resources. And that's why the Bible continually uses many images and analogies to warn us. Listen, faith, here's an acronym, forsaking all, I trust Him. Forsaking all, I trust Him. And in this world, initially your reactions are going to be like my reactions were, even behind the screen. I'm scared, Jesus. Nah, I'm protecting you. I'm reliable. I'm supreme. I'm authoritative. So you have to learn in your trust not to respond with your emotions and your physical reactions, but learn to trust, to trust Christ. The, the screen in my analogy. I'm moving on. Brokenness, dependency. What was the third one? Expectancy. There's this hope and there's this certainty of the future. So this is, this is logical and reasonable. And if, and if we follow, if Jesus can immediately make an unclean woman clean, perfect, and pure again, immediately, and if He has the power and authority to raise the dead, then my God can do far more than we could ever ask or think according to, to His power that, that works mightily within us. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. But faith has this future element that we call hope. Hope. What is hope? It's faith on tiptoes. It's faith looking into the future. And if you have saving faith, you're not just saved from sin, saved from the past or the penalty of sin. You're not just being transformed in dependency on Him to become like Christ. But here's the certainty. One day you will be like Him. We will be in a new heaven and new earth where there is no more death, there is no more disease, there is no more brokenness, there are no more tears. They laugh, they cry. Man, the future for us is glorious. And that, that is what empowers ministry now. So I'm going to get to my last point. There was a hopeful element to their saving faith, and there's a hopeful element to all saving faith. And then this leads to the fourth element, ministry. Saving faith is not selfish. But what I notice in this passage is that those who are saved are saved to serve. They're saved to minister. Read that great passage in Ephesians 2. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's Paul talking about being saved by grace through faith. Faith is a gift. And once that gift comes in, the faith that saves, that faith will also begin to serve. Now what I notice in this particular passage is the servant helping heart of Christ. Look at Jesus. 
Look at his ministry. Notice how when that man came to him, he immediately went to help. Notice the things that he said. Notice the compassionate ministry of Jesus to those who are broken, to those who are hurting, to those who are afraid, to those who are weeping. Broken, hurting, afraid, weeping. Jesus helps, helps them with his divine ministry. Listen to what he says. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's ministering peace and comfort to her. He says to the man after the people say, Oh, she's dead. Leave him alone. He says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid anymore. You believe she'll be made well. He tells the people in the house, Stop weeping. Stop lamenting. She's not died. Oh, but look at this at the end. Did you notice that he told them to give her something to eat? Isn't that interesting? Confirm the resurrection. When they doubted Jesus in the resurrection, you know what he did? He took a piece of broiled fish and he ate it right there in front of them. To show them that he had a real, tangible, physical body. They weren't seeing a phantom. They weren't seeing a ghost. He he ate there with his disciples as the risen Christ. And you know what he promised? One day, we will all eat together in the new heaven and new earth and celebrate together the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when he instituted the Passover with his disciples, what we know as communion in the Lord's Supper, he said some very interesting things about eating and drinking. He promised them in his ministry that one day they would eat and drink together in the kingdom that was to come. There's a future element to the Lord's Supper that looks forward to what Christ will do in his ministry for us. So we seek being saved. The faith that saves will will serve because we've been helped by His mercy and grace. We will then, because we've received His ministry, we will then as His body give out and be His body in ministry for others. That's an element of saving faith. So when we talk about brokenness, we talk about dependency, we talk about expectancy, we talk about ministry, here's the catch. None of us by nature want to do those things. In fact, brokenness, dependency, expectancy, and ministry are sometimes the last things we have on our mind. So you and I need help. And fortunately, God has given us His help. Like a teacher teaching a child to write, she will hold the hand of the student who's young and help him trace the letters. God has come down in Christ... And here, here's, the, here's, here's the climax right here. Jesus demonstrated to us brokenness, dependency, expectancy, and ministry. So as we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to think not, not about your own brokenness, but first think about His brokenness. How did Jesus demonstrate and embody brokenness? This is my body, which is what? Broken for you. 
He was broken before along the way in his ministry, but especially broken at the cross. Did he have dependency? Absolutely. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Look at Gethsemane at his brokenness and dependency. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's one of his last words. Those are his last words from the cross. Brokenness and dependency. What about expectancy? The Bible says, for the joy before him, he went through the cross. He knew he was going to be raised from the dead. The expectancy he had in the faithfulness of his father empowered the crucifixion and his self-surrender. Ministry? Oh, he demonstrated and embodied that. Not only did he wash feet, but he lays down his life for the sheep as the good shepherd. Therefore, you and I are called to lay down our lives and love one another in the same way. So God in Christ has come down to save us and forgive us, but also, listen, to trace, help us trace the letters that we naturally don't like to write of brokenness and dependency and expectancy and ministry. So all of that is here. So I'm going to pray. And we are called to participate Those of us who have saving faith, the gift of God, it is a gift of God. Saving faith is a gift of God. But as we remember His gift, which empowers our giving, we must prepare our hearts. And we must take the Lord's Supper in brokenness, dependency, ministry, and faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. What a wonderful passage. May may we never be um, flippant or dismissive about or take lightly the miracles that are in the New Testament. Because they have a message. They have a message that Christ is God. He is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. And in Him, in Him is salvation, Him alone. His body was broken. His blood was poured out as a ministry of rescue and salvation for sinners. So, Father, as we partake this morning, help us to see in this the brokenness of Christ, the dependency and expectancy of Christ, the ministry of Christ on our behalf. As we take this together as one body, we are symbolically receiving and giving, receiving and giving what you provide for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. to have a communion cup, receive a communion cup. Now, my prayer is that, you know, in September, we will no longer have to do this, okay? Again, this is a temporary um, way that we take the Lord's Supper, you know, really for the last year and a half.
So it doesn't have quite uh, the symbolism that, that, that I like about the other ways that we partake. But uh, sometimes you have to do what you, you have to do and, what you, and be grateful for what you can do, right? I think, that's, I think that's the attitude. Let's be grateful for what we can do. So Paul writes about communion and, and, and how the church is to receive communion. He writes a lot about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, so why don't we go ahead and, and, and peel off this top film, for lack of a better term. Let's all hold this piece of bread and just think about how the sinless perfect Christ was broken so that we may be, so that we may be healed, uh, spiritually made well. And then I'll lead us all in taking together at the same time to represent that we all are recipients of the grace of Christ. And that's, that's our common bond as believers. So in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. His body for us, do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Thanks be to God for the broken body of Christ, which is our salvation. Okay, the second element of what we remember is not only was his body broken, but his, his blood was poured out, his his blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there, there was no remission of sin. Throughout the Old Testament, it pointed to this and looked to this. So before we drink together, I will read this particular verse. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. But Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. Father, thank you so much for the blood that Christ shed for us. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness, your loyalty, um, your righteousness and holiness, which is the source of our salvation. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. After they took communion together, the Bible tells us that they sang. They, they rejoiced. So we're going to sing and rejoice. This also serves as our hymn of invitation. Any prayer requests on your heart, any need that you would like to share with me or our church, any decision, as we sing, that's what this time is for, is for you to come forward and share those uh, thoughts and prayers. So, Catherine, if you would lead us, please. Shit. 
Amen. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Miss Judy. Um, in case you came in late, the seed company offering, we're going to take the next two weeks, which basically serves as our VBS offering. Since VBS was one day, we couldn't really do a VBS offering. So as Catherine mentioned, we're also doing that for youth camp in July. What a wonderful ministry to get the Word of God in the languages of people who do not have a copy of the, the good news. Today at 5, deacons meeting, 6 o'clock conference. Both of those will be in the fellowship hall. Uh, youth event, Bryson mentioned. See him, they're going fishing in Central Hatchie. It's one of the things they're doing. And then what was the other? It was something else, Catherine. Shower from 2 to 4 for Hannah Bledsoe. That is a drop-in, and it's at the front of the church. Any other word before we close? Yes, ma'am. Amen. 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 Thank you, Miss Teresa, for that encouragement. Okay, Catherine, would you close this with? Let's sing, Bless Be the Tide together.